Well, our custom here is that every first Sunday of the month we go through the Psalms in order. We don't, I don't skip around and pick the easy ones and skip the hard ones, uh, most of the time anyway. And we are up to Psalm 41. So if you have a Bible there with you, if you want to turn to Psalm 41 and follow along as I read the Scriptures this morning, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Psalm 41. It says, To the choir master, a psalm of David, Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. The Lord sustains him on his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to full health. As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. My enemies say of me in malice, When will he die and his name perish? And when one comes to see me, he utters empty words, while his heart gathers iniquity. When he goes out, he tells it abroad. All who hate me whisper together about me. They imagine the worst for me. They say a deadly thing is poured out on him. He will not rise again from where he lies. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. But you, O Lord, be gracious to me, and raise me up that I may repay them. By this I know that you delight in me. My enemy will not shout in triumph over me. But you have upheld me because of my integrity, and set me in your presence forever. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. You may be seated. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's ask his, his blessing upon his scriptures to us even today. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you give us your word as a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, a, a, a light that shines brightest and centrally on your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who you sent for our salvation. We ask even now that you would work in us by your spirit, give us eyes to see, and ears to hear great things from your word, for it's in Christ's name we pray, and for his glory. Amen. Well, I don't know if I've mentioned this before in our study through the Psalms. It's been a while. Uh, but you may, you may or may not know that the Psalms have, have an organization to them. They have a flow to them. They actually have a division of sorts in them, and they are, they are often uh, said to be divided up into, into five books. It's one book. We talk about the book of Psalms, but uh, many, many Old Testament scholars and commentators see this arrangement, uh, that there's an arrangement in, in the Psalms. In fact, in your Bible, if you're looking, you know, the titles uh, or the, uh, the, the chapter numbers and all that stuff, it's not, that's not in the original text. You know, the verse numbers aren't in the original text that was added later. But, but your Bible might actually have, at the end of Psalm 41, mine does, it'll say book 2. Maybe you've never noticed it before. Maybe you look down at the page and, hey, what's that about? Well, the Psalms are very often divided into five, what they call five books. It's one book, but it's divided into five different books of, of the Psalms. And many scholars believe that that outline is, is intentional. It's ancient. We don't know how long it's been that way, but it's been that way for quite a while. Uh, that that five-book division is a reflection of, or to be taken as a reflection of, uh, or a copying of the five books of Moses, the first five books uh, of the Bible. That's Genesis through Deuteronomy. So you have the books, we call the books of the law, 
Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And then you have five books of the Psalms that kind of give, in a sense, an answer to them. So you have God's word to, to his redeemed, in a sense, in the five books of Moses. And although they are also scripture, uh, the Psalms, in a sense, can be taken as the word of God's people back to him in praise for his great mercy and deliverance in the Redeemer. You don't want to press that too far. It's all God's word to us. The Psalms are certainly God's words to us uh, as well. But I think that's, that's something that we should take note of. Uh, God's redeemed people, that's, that's us, if you're in Christ, should give God praise for the great salvation that we have in the Redeemer. I think it's, it's, it's telling that, that they outline the Psalms that way. And the reason I bring it up is that, as you might have noticed now, Psalm 41 is at the end of book one. It's the very last psalm in the uh, first book, so-called, of, of the psalms. And, and each psalm that ends the, the particular books, the, uh, the ending psalms of each book, if, if you care to, to take note, is Psalm 41, the one we're looking at this morning, Psalm 72, 89, 106, and the last book is obviously one, Psalm 150. Well, each one of those five ending psalms uh, end on a distinct note of blessing and praise to the Lord for his deliverance. And the very last verse of Psalm 41 that we just read, Psalm 41:13 says, "Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen." It ends not just the psalm, but that first book of Psalms on a note of of praise and doxology, which is certainly fitting. And we shouldn't overlook the importance of praise. It's easy to overlook the importance of praise. We shouldn't overlook the importance of praising the Lord our God, our Savior, our Redeemer, and our King. Um, in some ways, praising God, uh, we, as, as easy as it might be to overlook the importance of it, in some ways, it's, it's really the, the reason that, that the Lord saved us to begin with. In some sense, that's, that's the reason you're sitting here, if you're a believer this morning. It's the reason that God called you and saved you in, in Christ. First Peter 2, 9-10, to Peter writes this, But you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What's the point? What, what should we do in light of that? What does he say there? That we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Praise is the point of, of our redemption. One writer, John Piper, you may be familiar with him. Uh, he often has said, one of his famous quotes is, missions exists because worship doesn't. Missions exists because worship doesn't. I think that is, nails it right on, on the head. God's sovereign mercy in election that Peter speaks of there when he says, you're a chosen race, chosen. We didn't choose him, he chose us, right? God's sovereign mercy in election, what does Peter say? Should evoke in us not pride, not arrogance and ego, but praise, that's what Peter says right there in that text. God's sovereign mercy and election should draw us to praise, not pride. His mercy in calling us out of darkness into his marvelous light, again, should not lead to pride, although it often does. 
We twist it that way. Well, I know. We, we're in the end. We know. It shouldn't lead us to pride. It should lead us to, pro- to proclamation. And proclamation of what? Again, the excellencies of him who called us out of that darkness that we would still be in if not for his mercy and grace. Well, we're going to see in our text this morning at least three things from this Psalm of David, Psalm 41. We're going to see first a promise of blessing. A promise of blessing in verses 1 through 3. The second thing we're going to see is a prophecy of betrayal in verses 5 through 9. And then lastly, we're going to see a prayer for mercy and praise for that mercy in verses 10 through 13. So the first thing is a promise of blessing. A promise of blessing, verses 1 through 3. David writes there, Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. The Lord sustains him on his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to full health. Notice how many times the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. Why are you blessed? It's all because of the Lord and what he does for his people and for the one who considers the poor. Now, we might be tempted, I know I was tempted in in preparing to preach this morning, to kind of skim right over those first three verses and get right to the the problem David was facing. I'm I'm maybe task-oriented. You think, what's the problem? What's the solution? Get right to the point. Well, David doesn't do that. David gives us these verses. God, the Holy Spirit, gives us these verses for a reason. And it would be a mistake, I think, to to skim past them or not to spend a little bit of time on what they, they are here to tell us uh, today, at least for a little while, we need to give those, these, those verses their due. The first verse there. Blessed is the one who considers the poor. I have to ask, do we believe that? Do you believe that? That blessed is the one who considers the poor. We should believe that. David believed that. That's the reason he wrote what he writes here. In fact, David here is clinging to the promise, that promise of of blessing from the Lord during his time of trouble. It's not some non sequitur. He's not just saying, hey, God likes people who take care of the poor. And then the next thing, oh, by the way, I'm having a problem right now. I'm, I'm I'm being persecuted. He's pleading God's promises during a time of trouble wasn't he? That's what he's doing here. He's pleading God's promises of blessing back to God while he's in in trouble. And in doing that, he sets before us a good example. That's what we should do as well. When you're facing trouble of any kind, whether it be betrayal or enemies or what it might be, we plead his promises back to him. That's an act of faith, not presumption. More than that, what does David do by writing this psalm? He does what all the, well, all the psalms really do. They put the words uh, of, of faith, so to speak, in your mouth and in your, in your tongue. He, he puts these words in our mouths so that we might learn to say them. He's teaching us here by this psalm for our instruction and in our worship. And, you know, one of the things that we are often tempted to do, and sometimes we do do this, is we see an error a theological error, an error in practice, an error in theology. And rightly so, you say to yourself, I want to avoid that. So what do you often do? What happens to the pendulum swing very often? You want to avoid the one over here, and what do you end up doing? You end up not stopping in the middle, 
but swing too far the other way. And very often, we read texts about blessing and God blessing us in this life, not just in the life to come. And we, we see them abused. We see them abused by people that, that preach what we call a prosperity gospel. Is David preaching a prosperity gospel here? doesn't sound like it. It sounds like he's sick. It sounds like he has sinned. It sounds like he has enemies. It sounds like he's having a tough time. It's not for no reason that he's pleading God's promises right back to him right now. We shouldn't, we shouldn't take the errors of many kinds and let those lead us to swing that pendulum too far the other way to where you neglect a great truth and a promise as we see here in, in our Psalms. Other examples of, of this is, you know, very often in reform circles, we are very often, uh, how do you say, afraid to talk about the Holy Spirit why? Because you see the, the abuses of some of the hyper-charismatic types that you may know, as, as well-intentioned as they may be, and we think, well, you know what? I don't want someone to think I'm one of those. So we don't talk about the Holy Spirit. Well, you can, I don't know how you read your Bible, especially the New Testament, and not, not focus upon what the Holy Spirit does in and for uh, believers in Christ. Uh, we confess the Holy Spirit's ministry in the Apostles' Creed every time that we, that we recite it. Well, here I think in this text, we want to make sure we don't swing that pendulum too far the other way and neglect the promises of God, the promises of his blessings of his people in considering the poor. So Christians, first of all here, Christians, believers in Christ, of all people on this earth, you know, Rob said that of all people, we should be joyful. Not the exact quote he said, but we shouldn't be down in the mouth. We shouldn't be glum. We, shouldn't, we have reasons more than anyone on this earth to be joyful, but we also have reasons more than anyone else on this earth uh, to care for the poor. That we should be known, Christians should be known as those who consider and care for the poor. Mercy, compassion, and kindness should be not the only ones, but they should be distinguishing marks of Christians, of believers in Christ. 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 to 18. There the Apostle John says this, 1 John 3, 16 to 18. By this we know love, that he laid down his life. Who's he? Jesus. He laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in what? In deed and in truth. What, you see what he does there? He says, look, Jesus, our Lord and, and Redeemer, laid down his life for us. God's love is displayed first and foremost, greater than any other way, in, the, in Christ his Son, laying aside his glory and laying down his life to purchase us by his blood. And so what should that lead us to do? John says that should lead us also to lay down our lives for the brothers. Verse 16. That means taking care of a brother or sister in need. That means not closing up, to use his phrase, not closing up our hearts against those in need. That means caring means more than words. It's not without reason that James 1.27 tells us religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, what is it? To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. You read your Bible from front to back, you will see over and over and over again many things, but one of those things that you will see is the importance of caring 
for those in need. You know, in our day, uh, it, it's very much easy to say, you know, what's the old phrase? Nobody actually says it. No, I gave it the office. What do they really mean? I mean, I pay my taxes, right? We pay more than our fair share of taxes. Everyone these days does. And so it's easy for us to kind of close up our hearts and close up our wallets or whatever the case may be, or pantries, and say, you know, that's the government's job, right? Is charity the government's job? And even if the government takes half your paycheck out, is it, is it, is it then the excuse that we don't care for the poor? No. No, it should be, no matter what the government wants to do, if they want to care for the poor their way, let them do it. But we should be known as those who care for those who are in need. We don't get to, 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 lay, to lay aside that obligation, that, that requirement, because we think someone else should do it or it's someone else's job. We who are called by the name of Jesus Christ ought to be a people known for mercy and compassion and for considering the poor. What did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 Verse 7, blessed are the, it's on the front of your bulletins, blessed are the merciful. Why? For they shall receive mercy. Do you believe that? You should believe that. We should believe that and take it seriously. Here in this great psalm of, of King David, what do we see? What's David's situation? He says, he tells us the king is distressed, he's perplexed, he's suffering, he's betrayed even by a close friend. The man of his peace is a literal way of putting that his close friend, and yet what does he do? Even in the midst of his suffering, he confesses and says, and really prays, that the Lord surely blesses the one who considers the poor. Verse 1. That the Lord, what does he do? He delivers him in the day of trouble. Verse 1. The Lord protects him. Verse 2. Does not give him over to the will of his enemies. Verse 2. And even what does what? Sustains him in his sickness. Literally, it's the Lord makes his bed. He, he takes care of him in his sickbed. Who is his nurse? His nursemaid. The one who takes care of him is the Lord himself. What, what is David's, why does David bring that up? It seems kind of an odd thing to have at the beginning of this psalm. David is saying that he himself was a man who considered the poor. And, and we know this from reading through the testimony of Scripture in First and Second Samuel. David cared for the poor. He cared for his men. He cared for a crippled man that he had eat at his table who was from the family of, of Saul. So David is saying that he himself, he's saying, Lord, basically, I have considered the poor. And I know that you bless the one who considers the poor. Right now, I'm not feeling very blessed. Right now, I've got problems. And so what does he do? He pleads God's promise back to him. He's looking now to the Lord for the blessing, for deliverance, for protection from his enemies and sustaining grace even in a time of, of illness. Notice in our text, David no, nowhere says that the Lord promised him the day of trouble wouldn't come. That's how, that's how we like to read it. If you're blessed, well, how could you possibly have trouble? That's not what the Bible says. God does not promise us the day of trouble would not come. He promises us that he would deliver us uh, in the day of trouble. He didn't promise us a life free from sick beds or illness. He promised that he would be our sustainer and our healer in those times. The Lord's promises do not make prayer and patience unnecessary, do they? No. They make them worthwhile. They make them useful. They make them bear fruit. 
God's promises don't make prayer and patience unnecessary at all. Notice that David here is not claiming to have earned or deserved God's blessings. It's not what he's saying. He's not saying, you owe me. Remember, I helped the poor. Don't you remember me? Don't you remember what I've done in your name? At the end of the day, what's David's appeal based upon? Mercy. Mercy. The Lord's mercy or grace. Look at verse 4. He says, as for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. The King James Version puts it this way. I said, Lord, be merciful unto me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against thee. Mercy, grace. Mercy and and grace. It brings to mind, the King James of that text brings to mind for me that Remember Jesus gave a parable of a tax collector and a Pharisee going into the temple. They both went into the temple to pray in Luke chapter 18. And what did the the publican, not Republican, the publican or the tax collector. Yeah. Some some of them should pray with their head bowed down too. Uh, What does it say? He says in verse, uh, verse 13, he would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast. He wouldn't even look up. What, remember the Pharisee? Basically, dig me. You know, look, look how I'm glad I'm not like that guy. And this, this, this tax collector wouldn't even look up to heaven but beat his breast. And what did he say? God, be merciful to me, a what? A sinner. And what did Jesus say? This would have been a good text. This will be next, next uh, Reformation Sunday's text. It was that one that went home what? Justified. Not, not the Pharisee, not the self-righteous. The guy who wouldn't even look up and said, be merciful to me, a sinner. Maybe that tax collector in Jesus' parable knew Psalm 41. His words echo David's words here in our psalm. In his commentary on the psalms, William Plummer writes this, Good men in this life never get beyond the prayer of the publican. In this life, you will never rightly get past that prayer. From the first day you, you, you come to faith in Christ to that last day on this earth before he calls you home, you will be able to say and have reason to say, Lord, be merciful unto me, a sinner. We never get past that prayer. Truer words might never have been, been spoken. Now, you and I have to be careful not to misunderstand or misconstrue God's blessings as some kind of a mercenary exchange. David isn't saying this for that. He's not saying, I did my part, now God, it's time for you to do your part. I cared for the poor, therefore you owe me. It's not what he is saying. God's blessings and God's rewards, those are very neglected topics by many of us today. God's blessings and God's rewards for our obedience, mark this, are never earned. Does God bless obedience? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Do we earn that blessing by obedience? No, we do not. And we never can. The best works you will ever do in this life have something in them that needs to be forgiven. The best prayers, it has been said by someone much wiser than myself, your best prayers of your life have something in them to be forgiven and need to be sanctified by the work of the Holy Spirit and the redemption that's in He sanctifies even your prayers. He sanctifies even our worship, which is weak and imperfect and even sinful at times. 
at best. God's blessings, God's rewards, uh, while promised, are always acts of his kindness, mercy, and grace. You and I, no matter what you do in this life, no matter how much money you give away to the poor, uh, can never put God in our debt, ever. It's not how it works. Matthew Henry, the great Bible commentator, writes this, The best saints, even those who have been merciful to the poor, have not made God their debtor, but must throw themselves on his mercy. Mercy, not, not debt, not, not something we earn. May our faithful Savior Christ, who has been infinitely merciful to us, if you're in him by faith today, may he work in us that you and I might be merciful to, the, to other people. And by doing that, may we bear his reflection, a little bit of his image to those around us. May we seek that blessing that's promised to those who are merciful and to those who consider the poor. Seeking that promise is an act of faith, not an act of presumption or of merit. Well, the second thing, maybe the most important thing we see in our psalm this morning, is a prophecy of betrayal. A prophecy of betrayal. Look at verses 5 through 9 there. Here David makes his complaint known. Here David says, here's the problem. Here's here's what I'm dealing with. Not as if the Lord didn't know it, but he says, My enemies, he tells to God, my enemies say of me in malice, When will he die and his name perish? And when one comes to see me, he utters empty words while his heart gathers iniquity. When he goes out, he tells it abroad. All who hate me whisper together about me. They imagine the worst for me. They say, a deadly thing is poured out on him. He will not rise again from where he lies. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has done what? Has lifted his heel against me. What is that, what is that a picture of? Your heel. Now, unless you're some kind of kung fu expert, you're not using your heel on somebody who's upright. David is down. David is on the ground, and his, his friend, his close friend, his trusted companion, the man of his peace, is a way to translate that, lifts up his heel. You know, what are we talking about? Kicking somebody when they're down? This is kicking somebody when they're down. And when you kick somebody with your heel, that's a, that's a, a death blow. That's, that's a, a strong, powerful strike against your, your opponent, your enemy. You know, it, it, this, you know well, I said the, word, the, the phrase non sequitur earlier. This should be a non sequitur, logically. Here's a man who, sinful as he was, considered the poor. By God's grace, David, and, and you know, David is viewed in the scriptures not as as a sinner, but also God views him as a righteous man. Not because he was righteous in and of himself, but he thought he considered the poor, and yet what, what does he get in return? Treachery, malice, hate. They want him dead. They want his name dead. That's hate. That's not just a little bit of, like, we don't get along so good. That's hatred. They wanted the king, the king of Israel, dead. They wanted him him gone. That promise spoken of back in verse 2 that David says, that David reminds him and us of, that the Lord will not deliver the godly over to the will of his enemies. Again, it doesn't mean he won't have enemies. Shouldn't have enemies. The godly shouldn't have enemies on this earth, but we do. If anything, let that be to you a proof of the truth of Scripture. The Bible doesn't whitewash it. The Bible doesn't paint over it and gloss over it. The Bible tells you in stark terms those who are in Christ will be 
persecuted. Those who are godly in Christ Jesus will experience some measure of persecution. David's enemies were wicked. They wished him great harm. They wanted him dead, and they wanted his name to die along right there with him. And they make it worse. What do they do? I mean, that'd be bad. If all David said here was, I have enemies that want me dead. They want my name wiped from the history books. When will he die? They're looking at their watches. They're, come on, David's die already. Get out of here. I can't stand you. They come visit him. The people that want him dead come visit him. It says that they, they visit him on his sickbed and utter what? Empty words. What's he saying? They come saying the right things. They don't mean them. They, maybe they gave him a, a get well card and a fruit basket. You know, <laughs> David, get better. And the whole time, what does he say? They gather iniquity in their hearts. They're saying one thing. In their hearts, they're still saying, die. You know, die already. Why are you still here? Teeth clenched, smiling, but, but talking through both sides of their mouth. Verse 80 says that his enemies say, quote, a deadly thing is poured out on him. He will not rise again from where he lies. He's going to die. I might even get to see it. You know, maybe that's why they're visiting him. They're hoping to be there for the, the happy occasion. Right? Now that, that phrase, a deadly thing, it's, there's a couple hard, odd phrases here in, in, in the Hebrew of our text. In verse 8, that it says a deadly thing. You could translate that literally. It's, it sounds odd. A thing of Belial. Who's Belial? So it's a word for the devil. Belial, Beelzebub, that kind of a thing. Now, what are they saying? It's as if they're saying that, that whatever illness and affliction David was undergoing, this wasn't just some regular old illness. This was something right from the pit of hell. This was from the, almost from the mouth of the devil himself. And so David's done for. There's no one doing this. This isn't just some random sickness. This is from the devil himself, so to speak. David's finally going to get, get his. They, they wish evil for him. They, they view what, what, whatever sickness he was going through as, as an evil thing, as him getting his just rewards. Isn't that really what they're kind of saying? He's finally getting his. What's coming to him? Now, brothers and sisters, at times you and I are going to have enemies in the midst of affliction. They don't, they don't wait for the good times to come, to come bother you. And some of them will be deceitful and two-faced, just like we see in this text, you may even experience a betrayal by a close, what, we, what he calls a close friend. Another way of putting that is uh, um, the man of my peace, or the, man, the man of my shalom is what he's really saying there. It, the, the, I mean, that, it sounds like as close as you could get. We don't know exactly who this, this man may have been, uh, but David was betrayed by someone very, very close to him. You know from scripture he was betrayed by family members, even by his own children. That happens. That still happens at times in this life. If you have gone through that, whether by a close friend, a spouse, a child, or someone, you're not alone. You're not alone. It it happens. It happened to David. And more importantly, it happened to more than just David, didn't it? Not just David. I've already hinted at from the title of this point that in, this, in these verses there is a, a prophecy of betrayal, isn't there? A prophecy of, of betrayal, not just any betrayal, a very specific betrayal and a very specific betrayer. David's description of his own sufferings here in Psalm 41 at the hands of his enemies 
And that sometimes in, in that description, he speaks in the singular, he. A particular, a particular one, that friend that had betrayed him. He says something in verse 9 that Christ himself quotes and speaks of as being a prophecy of his own betrayal at the hands of whom? Judas Iscariot. One of the twelve. The inner circle. The one who dipped the bread. Remember that ate, literally ate bread with him. Broke bread with him and yet betrayed him for silver. For money. John 13, 18. Jesus says this. I'm not speaking of all of you. The twelve. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. And what does he quote? Psalm 41, 9. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Now, Jesus knew. He even tells you right in that text. Was Jesus surprised about Judas? No. And yet he chose him. Allowed him in his inner circle. But what does he say here? The scripture will be fulfilled. Even Judas's betrayal was a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. So Judas Iscariot's betrayal of Christ was the fulfillment, the ultimate fulfillment of Psalm 41, 9. And so once again here in a psalm, a thousand years before it happened, we really have the cross of Christ being hinted at and prophesied in some way as well. We should be reminded of the great truth of Romans chapter 5, verse 10, where Paul writes that while we were enemies, enemies to whom? To God. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. It's easy to put the white hat on yourself. We used to have the black hat on ourselves. We were reconciled to God while we were still his enemies by the death of his son. We who were once the enemies of God have been reconciled to him. How? Only by the death of of his own son, our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Proverbs 18.24, it says there is a friend who sticks what? Closer than a brother. That's Christ. This psalm speaks of a, of a betrayer. The scripture over and over again talks about there is one friend who sticks closer than any, any brother. And his betrayal at the hands of Judas brought you and me, if you're in him, life. The betrayal of Christ at the hands of Judas Iscariot means that you and I can bear our own trials. They're lesser in comparison, but they're no less painful in many ways. Whatever sufferings believers you and I uh, can endure in this life, even at the hands of close friends or family members, even in those times you can take comfort knowing that those sufferings are but a shadow of the sufferings of Christ in your behalf which he endured in your place for your salvation. And enduring those things, in enduring those things for the sake of Christ, as Paul says in Philippians 3.10, what are you doing? You're sharing in the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. The world is seeing the family resemblance, however faint it may look, and they're attacking the image of Christ in you. You are sharing, you are fellowshipping with Christ, even in your sufferings even in your betrayals and that brings us to the third and final point that we see in the last four verses of the psalm verses 10 through 13 look there it says it's a prayer for mercy and it's a praise for that mercy given ahead of time it says but you O lord here it is again he's got enemies he's got a close friend who betrayed him someone who ate him his bread who devoured his bread 
And what does he say? But you, O Lord. That's always the answer, isn't it? You, O Lord, be gracious to me. Raise me up that I may repay them. By this I know that you delight in me. My enemy will not shout in triumph over me. But you have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. A double amen at the end of that praise at the end of the first book of the Psalms. So what do we have here again? David praying for mercy and grace twice in this psalm. And it's the prayer of faith. He's trusting in those same promises here that he mentioned in the first three verses. He brings it back to those same promises. He's trusting in God's promises even when his own circumstances and his enemies did everything in their power to contradict those promises and make him think that they had failed. Sometimes your life tries to tell you something that contrary to the word of God. Your circumstances, very often, we are tempted to take them and say, oh, maybe not this time. God's promises never fail. And his words throughout the end of Psalm 41, not just verse 9, I believe, but all the, the, the entire final sections of the, of the psalm, they're a picture of David, but they're, they're really spoken of and spoken by, ultimately and only rightly so, by Christ himself. David already said he was a sinner. And here he's saying, because of my integrity, you've upheld me. Right? Who, who's the one that God upheld because of his integrity? Christ himself. Jesus Christ himself. His enemy, who had raised his heel against him, would not shout in triumph over him as he thought he would get to do, but he would have his head crushed. A fulfillment of Genesis 3.15. He who had been upheld and set in the presence of God at his right hand forever. Who is that? That's Christ. Who did God uphold and set at his right hand forever? Jesus Christ. Paul says that we were raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places. Because Christ is there, we are united with him and are there as well. Because of this, we who are in Christ by faith, even in the midst of our afflictions and betrayals, are, as Paul says in Romans 8.37, more than conquerors. In, what, is, what does Paul say there? In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In them all. Not the absence of them all. In them, we're more than conquerors through him, through Christ, who loved us. You and I can ask for mercy the way that David does in Psalm 41. He's teaching us to do just that. You and I can ask for God's mercy because of Christ's betrayal. And because of his death on our behalf on the cross. Is there any wonder that David closes the psalm the way he does? With praise saying, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. David can still praise in the midst of suffering, in the midst of betrayal, in the midst of illness. He can still say, blessed be the Lord God, the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. And again, he gives the double amen. Amen and amen. It's one thing to say, you know, so be it. It's like, so be it twice over. To emphasize the point, let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do give many great and precious promises in your word. First and foremost, in the gospel of your son, that you, you promise that whoever comes to him, you'll by no means cast out and will have life and life abundantly. He came to give us life and forgiveness and to give us life abundant.
And eternal life is knowing you and the Lord Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And we thank you for that. We also thank you for the other promises that you give as a, as a wise and kind father to your children. To, to give us motivation, to spur us on to obedience and faith. We thank you for the promises that you give. And we ask that you would give us faith as the psalm, as David says, even in the psalm, that we would trust in your promises in the Redeemer. And so doing, know that none of your promises ever fall to the ground or fail, but they're all yes and amen in Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.